Good evening. If you have a Bible, open it up to Hebrews chapter 2. We're going to be in verses 1 through 4 tonight. Hebrews 2, 1 through 4. And uh, while you're turning there, I also want to just make you aware of one event that's coming up in October. Uh, You'll see some signs around and also slides up here in the coming weeks. But uh, we have an event coming up October 11th and 12th. From 6.30 to 8.30 p.m., there's a a seminar that's going to happen here across the street in the main building. It's called, I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist. And uh, basically what it is, is there's a guy named Frank Turek who actually has, I believe, a degree in apologetics. But this is what he does. He goes to college campuses around the country. And he talks about some of the issues relating to challenges with the existence of God objections to the existence of God, as well as the reliability of the New Testament and the truth of the gospel, and how do we answer some of those things as believers. So uh, if you are interested in just kind of sharpening up your own understanding of how to defend your faith, or if you have friends who uh, don't yet know the Lord and maybe have some questions about some of these things, it'd be a great opportunity for them. I went and heard Frank speak on campus here last spring, and he did a great job. And uh, it's absolutely free event that we'd love to have you guys participate in. We'll get more info to you in the weeks to come, but just want to let you guys know that's coming. All right, Hebrews chapter 2, start in verse 1. For this reason, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard so that we do not drift away from it. For if the word spoken through angels proved unalterable, and every transgression and disobedience received a just penalty, how will we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? After it was at the first spoken through the Lord, it was confirmed to us by those who heard, God also testifying with them, both by signs and wonders, and by various miracles, and by gifts of the Holy Spirit, according to his own will. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your word, and we thank you for, in it, we find testimony of the life that we have in Jesus Christ through belief in him and in him alone. Father, we do confess this evening that our hearts and our minds are prone to wander. We find that there are distractions and temptations all around us that would draw us away from our first love, Jesus Christ. And so we pray that you would allow us and help us to pay attention, as Hebrews says, to the things we have heard and the things we have learned that are true about Jesus Christ. Father, we pray for our minds this evening that they would be able to focus and pay attention, remove distractions from us, help us to understand your word. We pray for our hearts that you would help us to believe what it is you have to say through your word. And then for our bodies, Lord, allow us to obey through the power of your spirit. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. A couple of years ago, I went on one of the men's retreats here through Grace. And uh, it was a wonderful time of connecting with some other guys. And there were guys there ranging all the way from college age up to 70, 80 year old men. And so for fun, the organizers of the retreat put together uh, a little competition between the college guys and the adult men, actually a series of competitions designed, I guess, to demonstrate who was superior. And so there were uh, archery contests and there was an ultimate frisbee contest, even a a hatchet throwing contest. Uh, there was one where you tried to throw a log as far as you could throw it and see who won. So all kinds of manly contests. And uh, 
One of the ones that they came up with was a canoe race. Uh, there's a little lake out at Frontier Camp where we were, and uh, the idea was that uh, each team had two or three pairs of guys, and uh, each pair would get in the canoe, paddle down to a buoy about 300 yards in on the lake, and then turn back around and come back, and then the next pair would get in and do it. It was kind of a relay race. Whoever got all three pairs of guys back to the shore first won the race. Now, when they first described it, I thought, uh, this is a no-brainer that these college guys should win uh, because they are probably in better shape, they're stronger, they're going to row faster, it's hard to row, you know, with a pot belly and all that kind of stuff. So I thought these college guys were going to win for sure, and so the race began, they blew the horn, and sure enough, immediately the college guys took off uh, and they were ahead by a couple of boat lengths right out of the gate. And uh, the adult guys were just, they're paddling, they're steady and they're sure, but they're not going quite as fast. And the race went well for these college guys for just a little while, probably about the first 50 yards. And then uh, they started to veer off course. And it became apparent that uh, they didn't have a lot of experience actually paddling a canoe. And one of the things they neglected to realize was that direction is as important as speed. Right, so they are paddling as fast as they can, but they're going off this direction. Meanwhile, the buoy is straight ahead, and these adult guys are just paddling sure and steady toward the buoy. These college guys end up over here, and they're arguing with each other, and they're fighting, and the, the, the boat is kind of just spinning around in a circle, and they can't figure out where they're going. These adult guys are continuing to go. At one point, one of the adult pairs of guys actually uh, o- overturned their canoe, fell out, Right, and then they swam back to the canoe, got back in and started paddling. And they were still ahead of the college guys who were over here trying to figure out what direction to go. Right, finally, these guys straightened out their canoe. They got over to the buoy. They got back. But by then, they were about half the course behind and they lost. And the reason they lost was because it doesn't matter how fast you paddle or how skilled you are if you don't go the right way. It's critical, obviously, in the race to go the right way. Many of us, as we pursue our lives, you're, you're, a lot of you are gifted. You're strong, maybe not just physically, but also relationally. You're smart. You're good at what you do. You're going to go into a career and you're going to do very well. Many of you are very sincere and you work very hard at everything you do. But believe it or not, it's possible to be very sincere. It's possible to work very hard. It's possible to be very gifted and still send your life off on the wrong direction. And you can be sincerely, truly wrong in the things you pursue, even though you may believe in them and even though you may work for them. And as we've been studying the book of Hebrews, the author of Hebrews keeps coming back to this idea that although there may be other things that grab your attention, if you want to have a life that is eternally significant, if you want to have a life that is powerful, then focus your eyes Focus your actions on knowing Jesus Christ and pursuing him. Because no matter how hard you work at any other pursuit, if you're not pursuing Jesus Christ, you're going to send your life off on the wrong direction. And as we get into this passage in chapter two in particular, he's going to say, look, the way that you keep your life on track is to pay close attention to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because he's aware that your life is is full of temptation and distraction and things that could pull you away. You know, in some sense, your life is very short. Many of you right now, you're 18 to 22, 23 years old, and uh, you are just kind of at the beginning, believe it or not, of this race that you're going to run. And yet it's going to go fast. 
And I, I, when I was in college, I would look at a guy that was 35 with kids and think, uh, man, that guy is unbelievably old. And some of you look at us, you look at me, you look at Jamie's already getting gray hair, man, back here. He's old. All right, you guys look at somebody who's just a little bit further along and you think, is that ever going to be me? And the reality is you're going to turn around and you'll be 30 or 40 or 50 and your time is short. And the scripture calls us to use our time wisely. So in some sense, our life is short. In another sense, it's actually kind of long. And the reason I say that is because we have day after day after day after day in which we are called to the task of knowing Jesus Christ and making disciples for Jesus Christ. And yet day after day after day, there are little temptations and little distractions that can wear us down and keep us from walking faithfully. Sadly, throughout the course of my life, I've had a number of friends that have basically walked away from the faith. And with all of them, it's never been a deal where all of a sudden one day they're pursuing Jesus Christ wholeheartedly, reading the word, spending time in prayer, engaged in community. And then the next day they say, I don't believe this anymore. With all of them, it's actually been a slow and gradual step-by-step drift away from the things of God. And they slowly stop spending time with them and they slowly become surrounded by busyness and distractions and temptations and they just drift away. And that's what the author of Hebrews is concerned about. Right? And we live really in a world that constantly bombards us with distractions. Think about your life for just a minute. How many hours in each day do you really spend, how many minutes for that matter, do you really spend without some kind of distraction or bombardment coming on? whether it's an iPod in your ear, whether it's something you're looking at, something you're typing, something you're texting. How many of you really have time in your day on a regular basis where you're pulling away and you're paying attention and focusing on the things of Jesus Christ? And as we look at this passage, what the author of Hebrews is going to say is he's going to say, the danger is that over time we just slowly drift away like a ship drifting off course if we don't pay close attention. And that's right where he starts. He says, do not drift away. Verse 1, for this reason we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard so that we do not drift away from it. All right, so drifting comes simply from not paying close attention. The idea is you don't fix your eyes on something and as a result you kind of forget about it. Uh, just like you guys, my life is busy. I have work. I have friendships. I've got a wife. I've got three kids. I've got all kinds of things going on. You guys have school. Many of you have work, many of you have jobs and your family and other friends and you've got all of these things bombarding you, not to mention you just want to have some time on your own. And the danger is that in the midst of all that, we don't pay close attention to knowing Jesus Christ and as a result, we drift away. Drifting comes from not paying close attention and you end up on the wrong path. I'm reminded of an incident that happened when I was in college. I had a friend of mine that played drums in a band that I was in. His name was Frank and uh, one day we came back to A&M and we were going to get together and we were actually going to try to play some music together, practice, maybe record some stuff. And Frank didn't show up at the right time. I think we were meeting about nine or 10 in the morning. Frank didn't show up. So we called his sister's house where he'd been staying and she said, well, no, he, he left several hours ago. He should have gotten there by now. Uh, maybe he just stopped or something like that along the way. And he didn't show up. A couple hours went by. Frank didn't show. Sister called us. She got worried. The afternoon began to drag on. He didn't show up. She called Frank's mom. She hadn't seen him or heard from him. So Frank's mom called the police. The police begin launching some kind of an investigation. The rest of the day goes on. It's 9, 10 at night. Frank doesn't show up. 11, 12, Frank doesn't show up. Finally, around 3 or 4 in the morning, 
Frank walks in the front door of his apartment. Just walks in, gets ready to go to bed. And his roommates, of course, wake up, come out and they go, where have you been? The police are looking for you. Your mom is scared. Everybody's worried, sick about you. And he goes, well, something happened. He goes, I left my sister's house in Austin. And uh, I wasn't really paying close attention to where I was going. And instead of going east back to College Station, I kind of got into a zone. And, uh, you know, I live in New Mexico and I kind of got on the road to go back home. And I wasn't really thinking about what I was doing. And uh, right as I kind of pulled into Lubbock, I realized that I was going the wrong way. Now, that's seven hours away. All right, we go, Frank, you drove for seven hours and it didn't occur to you, you, you weren't in College Station yet. What happened? Well, uh, I just wasn't really paying attention. I didn't look at the signs. And so what did you do when you realized? Well, I just turned around and I came back. And you didn't call anybody? Well, I didn't think about it. I wasn't paying attention to what I was doing. For 14 hours, Frank drove around, paying no attention to signs, paying no attention to where he was, and he just got lost. And the author of Hebrews says this, you, you walk throughout your life and it's easy just to kind of zone out. I go to school, I come to church, I hang out with my friends, I do my work, I have my entertainment time and I don't really focus my life and think through what is my life really about? What am I called to? And what the scripture tells us is we are called to know Jesus Christ and to make his name known throughout all of the world. And he says, pay attention to that. Invest your time, invest your energy in knowing Jesus Christ so you don't drift away. Now, as we come to a passage like this, one of the challenging theological issues in this verse actually is, what does he mean by drifting away? And and who are these people that the, the author of Hebrews is warning? This is actually the first of five warning passages in the book of Hebrews. And one of the main controversies surrounding all of them is, uh, who's he warning And what is he warning them of? And so I'm just going to briefly give you a few possibilities of meaning for what it means to drift away and who he's talking to. One possibility is this. He's actually talking to unbelievers within this congregation who just think they're saved. Maybe for some reason they believe themselves to be Christians, but they're really not. They really never had salvation. And so he says, you guys need to wake up and think about whether you are saved or there's going to be problems. Now, this is probably the most popular uh, evangelical view on this passage, but there is a problem with it. And and mainly, the problem is all throughout the book, the author of Hebrews refers to these people as brethren, as brothers, at least four or five times. And in fact, he even at different places, he says, I'm confident for you of things accompanying salvation. He doesn't even bother to represent the gospel to them. If you thought they weren't believers, why not just say, remember, Believe in Jesus Christ who died and rose again. Instead, he says, no, you know all of that. You've believed all of that. Now stand firm. And so for that reason, I don't think this is the best understanding of these warning passages. The second possible understanding is that this is talking to believers who lose their salvation, who are in danger. And he's saying, all right, you're believers, but if you drift away, the consequences are so severe, you might actually lose the salvation that God has given you in Jesus Christ and end up in hell. The problem, of course, with that is, is many verses in the rest of the New Testament right, that seem to indicate that once we have salvation in Jesus Christ, we can't lose it. John 10, 28 to 30. Jesus says, I, I know my sheep. My sheep hear my voice. I give them eternal life and no one can snatch them away. I would assume that no one includes me because God gives the gift 
It's under God's control, right? Romans 8 says that once we have believed in Jesus Christ, nothing, nothing can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. And over and over and over again, the New Testament seems to affirm this idea that it, the initiative in salvation is God's, and therefore what God gives, God does not revoke. All right, so there's a third option, and this is where we're going to go as we look at the book of Hebrews. The third option is this. These are genuine believers. I think he is talking to Christians, but these are believers who are, run the risk of drifting away and perhaps even denying their faith in Christ, but they drift away and they experience, even as believers, the judgment of God. And the scripture seems to indicate that all of us, we'll look at 2 Corinthians 5 in a minute, but all of us will stand before the judgment seat of Jesus Christ as believers in our lives will be judged, not to determine if we're going to go to heaven or hell, but to determine what reward will we receive? What will we hear from Jesus? And when Jesus establishes his kingdom, as Luke puts it in in Luke chapter 19, verses 12 through 27, there's a great parable in which Jesus says, A man went away and he gave these different guys control over different things. And he comes back and he says to one man, look, you've been faithful over some small things. Now rule over 10 cities. The next guy, you've been faithful. You rule over five cities. The next guy, uh, you haven't been so faithful. I'm taking everything away. And I think the indication Jesus is saying is even for those who believe in him, there is a sense in which there will be rewards and the opportunity to reign in his kingdom that will come to those who are faithful. And so the way that we live, even as Christians, it matters. And as you look at the context of the book of Hebrews, he's been talking in chapter one, verses eight through 10, eight and nine, particularly about the kingdom that Jesus will establish Verse 14, he's been talking about those who will inherit salvation, indicating that these are believers who will in the future inherit salvation. Verse 5, he's talking about the world to come. And so in the book of Hebrews, there's this uh, concept that the Jewish mind would have understood that Jesus Christ, the Messiah, is going to establish the Messianic kingdom. And those who believe in him and are faithful will have the opportunity not only to spend eternity with him, but also to reign with him. So the author of Hebrews says, be careful. If you drift away, you could forfeit that opportunity. And in fact, he says, the consequences for drifting away are very severe. Look at verse two. For if the word spoken through angels proved unalterable and every transgression and disobedience received a just penalty, how will we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? All right, the idea is this is kind of a lesser to greater argument. If disobeying the law was bad, how much worse will it be to disobey the gospel? Had a teacher when I was in about ninth grade that I love this particular history teacher because instead of teaching us from a book or lecturing, his mode of teaching was he actually let the class engage in different simulations where, for example, he's teaching us the World War II, for example, and he says, instead of teaching you from a book, I'm going to let you actually reenact World War II. He put up a big map and we were different countries. One person was Germany, one person was Russia, and we had to read about our country and figure out what happened during the war and how we were supposed to approach the war and try to win. And so we would proceed this way throughout the class. And the other thing that I liked about this teacher was that he didn't have a whole lot of rules for his class. And in fact, he kind of had the philosophy, you're in ninth grade. If you talk, uh, it's not that big a deal. Just don't disrupt the class. You chew gum, fine. Don't disrupt the class. If you disrupted the class a little, there might be a little consequence. Go sit in the hall, right? Something along those lines. But we did find that there were certain things that made him really angry. And one of those things was if you messed up one of his little games. There was a class actually that uh, 
they were doing a Cold War simulation, you know, the Soviet Union and the United States and all this. And this class thought it would be funny if they uh, launched a global nuclear war and just destroyed everybody. All right. So uh, ninth grade. And so they went to do their turns and everybody just launched their entire arsenal and uh, destroyed the whole world in, you know, one afternoon. And they thought, ha ha, you know, we'll start over. Or the professor will let us just hang out. And uh, he was livid. He was absolutely furious because they had destroyed the world. And so he stood up and he, and he, uh, he said, you know, you guys thought this was funny. So here's what you're going to do for the next two weeks while everybody else gets to play this game. You guys have to sit and read from a book, the history textbook and write papers from the book. Pretty severe consequence when you're in ninth grade. It's my point. Well, talking, he didn't really care. Very little consequences. Much greater accountability for a much greater offense. What the author of Hebrews here says is this. The law had penalties, had a number of penalties. If you disobeyed the law, you might have to present a sacrifice. You might have to pay a fine. You might even have to be excluded from the community for a period of time. You could even die if you disobeyed the law. You'd be put to death. He says, look, the penalty for neglecting the gospel, drifting away. Notice he doesn't say for not believing the gospel, but simply drifting away, neglecting it, ignoring. The penalty is even worse than the law because it was the, the gospel is given by Jesus Christ and he's just established that Jesus is greater than the angels who gave the law, much, much greater. And since Jesus is greater and he's the perfect sacrifice and he gave a perfect message from God, drifting away from the gospel has severe consequences. You say, all right, well, what could be worse than death? Because in our mindset, often death is about the worst thing that you could experience, right? What could be worse than death? And you have to begin to think like this author is thinking. And the idea is this, uh, there are things worse than death because all of us are going to die. Everybody in this room will die. You might die young, you might die old, you're going to die. And certainly it's a penalty to die younger than you would like, right? But he says, look, the way that you approach the gospel doesn't just affect whether you pay a fine or even whether you die young. It affects your eternity, even as a believer in Jesus Christ. And again, there's no danger if you've believed in Jesus Christ of going to hell or forfeiting your salvation. But there is going to come a moment where all of us will stand before the judgment seat of Jesus Christ. As 2 Corinthians 5 says, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Right? In a context where Paul's talking to Christians, he includes himself even in that. And there's going to come a moment where you and I will stand before our Savior and we'll either hear, well done, good and faithful servant, or we won't. We'll hear, you wicked servant, what did you do with the time? And at that moment, believe me, if you want to please your parents, you want to please your friends, you want to please your boss, at that moment, nothing in the universe will matter more to you and me than hearing those words of praise from our Savior and having the opportunity then for him to say, you've been faithful. Now reign over 10 cities. Reign over five cities. Have the opportunity to reign with Jesus Christ in his kingdom. So he says, look, the consequences are severe because neglecting the gospel does affect how we will participate in God's kingdom in eternity. But the good news is that uh, the gospel is trustworthy. Even though the consequences are severe for drifting, the gospel itself is trustworthy. Verses 3, the end of verse 3, going into verse 4. After it was at the first spoken through the Lord, it was confirmed to us by those who heard. God also testifying with them, 
both by signs and wonders and by various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit according to his own will. Right? The truthfulness of a fact or the qualifications of an individual are often verified by references or by witnesses. And in Jewish culture, it was no different. If you went into a court of law and you wanted to establish a fact, you would call at least two trustworthy witnesses. Here in the book of Hebrews, he gives us three, and we're going to talk about those for a minute. But the concept that Hebrews is getting at is, if we want to verify that the gospel of Jesus Christ is true, all we have to do is look at the fact that God has given us references. Some of you may have had to fill out references for friends looking for a job. And you write, yeah, he's trustworthy, he's dependable, he's honorable. And maybe they ask for two or three of those. And the more significant the job, the the more stringent the fact-checking process is, the reference process. When I was in college, actually, one day, a a guy called our apartment and he asked to speak to my roommate, Nathan. And I said, sure, who is this? And he said, this is agent so-and-so from the FBI. And uh, so I kind of held the phone down. I said, hey, Nathan, there's a guy here uh, from the FBI, agent so-and-so says he wants to talk to you. Well, Nathan didn't believe me. I uh, thought I was joking. So he gets on the phone and he goes, uh, hello, Mr. Agent, ha <laughs> you know, and starts laughing. And the guy goes, yeah, this is agent so-and-so from the FBI. And Nathan's face went from this to, yes, sir, you know, hello. And uh, the guy says, can I come over and ask you a few questions? And uh, Nathan says, sure, whatever you want to, you know. So uh, the, guy, the guy comes over and these guys come over and they were just as you would imagine FBI agents to look like, the dark suits, the sunglasses, the whole deal. They walk in and, and what it had what was going on was we actually had a friend who had applied for an internship with the FBI, just some kind of like a summer or semester long internship. And he was going to have even just a little bit of security clearance. And they were checking everybody that had ever talked to this guy to see if he was trustworthy. Has he ever said anything anti-American? Are these credit card statements right from this guy? You know, all this kind of stuff. They had all this information and they were checking every single reference. Because the higher the position, the more important the references are. And the author of Hebrews says, we're looking at uh, Jesus Christ, who is claiming to be the Messiah, claiming to be God in the flesh. And he says, how do we know it's trustworthy? Well, we have these witnesses. We have these references. And he, in fact, gives us three. The first one is Jesus himself. Jesus himself clearly claims, John 14, 6, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. And Jesus' death and resurrection attest to the fact that he has died for our sins and his resurrection attests to the fact that God accepted that sacrifice. And so Jesus himself testifies. But then there's two others. Those who are eyewitnesses of Jesus. It was confirmed to us by those who heard. Men like Peter and John and James who heard the message of Jesus Christ and then they proclaimed it. As you look at Acts 2 and 3, you see Peter standing up in front of his countrymen in Jerusalem, and he's proclaiming Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of all of the words of the prophets. Second Peter chapter one, verses 16 to 21, Peter writes again, we were eyewitnesses of his majesty on the Mount of Transfiguration. We saw his glory. Not only that, but we have the prophetic word made more sure so that we know Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of all these prophecies. So men who saw him, who listened to him, who heard him, And then thirdly, you had signs and wonders and miracles, beginning with the resurrection, God's ultimate vindication of what Jesus had done. But then as the early church preached the gospel, it was accompanied by signs and miracles and wonders, unique signs to demonstrate the veracity of Jesus' words. 
And so what's the point? Well, here in Hebrews, it says, yeah, persecution is going to come to you if you believe in Jesus Christ. Yes, distraction will come. Temptation will come. And your temptation is going to be to slowly drift away. But he says, you come back to the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that it's in him and him alone that you can have eternal life. And it's in him and him alone that your life will have eternal significance that lasts beyond the grave. And that what Jesus has promised, Jesus will deliver. That if he's promised reward, if he's promised the opportunity to reign with him for those who are faithful, then he will deliver. And we can trust him. The gospel is absolutely trustworthy. So we're called to pay attention to it. To pay closer attention to everything that we've heard. As much as it pains me to say this, my guess is that some of you in this room, before you're 25 or 30, probably drift away and stop walking with the Lord. It's not going to happen overnight, but it'll happen slowly. Just because you fail to pay attention, to fill your mind and your heart with the words of the Scripture, to spend time in prayer before the Lord, allowing Him to transform you, allowing His Spirit to change you into the image of Jesus Christ. So over time, you slowly drift away. As we look at Hebrews, what we're going to see is the author is deeply concerned with that for his readers. And as we are standing here in this room and we read this, we say it's it's a deep concern for those of us even who know Jesus Christ. And yet there's hope for those who would rely upon Jesus Christ that his spirit will continue to hold us fast. Let me just give you a few thoughts about how we can be faithful. First of all, fill your mind with the truth. Some of you, you're in here this evening, some of you have your Bible, some of you may not even know where they are. My challenge to you is this, if you need one, grab one of the ones we've got, but on a daily basis, fill your mind with the truth. Even if it's 10, 15 minutes a day to start, but open it up and, and read the word of God, memorize the word of God, get it into your mind and your heart so you can pay attention to it. That requires time that's quiet and uninterrupted and undistracted. And spend time in prayer asking the Lord to transform you through his word. Fill your mind with the truth and not just the things of the world. Think about what's going in your car or on your iPod. Consider putting things on there like uh, the spoken word of God as you drive to fill your mind with what is true rather than just allowing ideas from our culture to wash through your brain. Secondly, and this one's going to be a big challenge for many, consider, just consider a 24-hour media fast at some point. All right, unplug. No text message or cell phone, no Facebook, Twitter, none of that stuff. All right, some of you are getting hives even thinking about that concept of unplugging. Some of you say, that's impossible, I, I can't even do that. And then I would challenge you, uh, pick at least one or two forms of media, maybe the ones that you really don't need, you're addicted to, Maybe the ones you don't need for work and say, I'm going to unplug from those for a period of time. Spend some time quietly in prayer. Maybe just a few hours. The reason is because I think often we just allow ourselves to be carried along with images and thoughts and words that are not of God, but are of the culture. And we don't even evaluate and discern. And so maybe we need a little time where we unplug and we're quiet and we get before the Lord and we get into his word and we allow his word to be the dominating influence in our lives, at least for a period of time. 
so we can begin to understand better what's true and what's false. I think you'll be amazed if you try something like this. First of all, how difficult it is, but also how powerful it will be in your life. Then the last thing I would say is surround yourself with godly community. And the author of Hebrews will get more into that as we walk through the book. Surround yourself with community who will challenge and encourage you to walk with God rather than to drift away. Again, like we said at the beginning, life in some ways is long. It's short, but in some ways it's long. And day after day after day, we're called to continue to pay attention to Jesus Christ so we don't drift away. So my prayer and hope is that you and I uh, will get 10, 15, 20 years down the road, 50 years down the road, and this group is a group of men and women who are walking closely with Jesus Christ because your eyes are fixed on him. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for your word and for the gospel that Jesus Christ died for us and rose again so we can have eternal life. Thank you for the opportunity that we have as believers to have lives that are eternally significant. So let us pour our lives into those things that matter. Let us fill our minds with those things that are true so we don't drift away, so we don't wander from the truth. Father, we're so grateful to you for the chance to come in here tonight and to study your word. And we pray it would transform us. We love you and we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. See you all next week.